We're starting a new series today. You've probably seen it up here on the screen. It'll come up in a moment. It's called The Secret of Singularity. Now, don't worry, ladies. This is not about, you know, being on your own for the rest of your life. It's something a little bit more than that. And I don't know if you've noticed in the New Testament, particularly and throughout the Scriptures, gloriously, there are a number of times when a phrase is used that describes the kind of way a person chooses to live their lives. They say things like this, this one thing I do, or this one thing or ask, or this one thing I prioritize. And I just want to say about that kind of intentionality, that it's really important for us that we start to be clear about how we are meant to live as Christians. If we want to be great at something, we must be prepared to do some things less than great. We must also be prepared to let go of some things so that the something we want to be great at actually becomes the priority in the way that we live our lives. I have a nephew. He's the featherweight champion of the United Kingdom. I have no idea what a featherweight is like. And you look at me, look how rare that is in my family. Okay, and that young man, his name is Brad, Brad Foster. Look him up on Google or wherever it is you're searching for things. He's a featherweight champion of the United Kingdom, just won a whole series of fights. Actually, most of his day is taken up with training. If you want to be the best at something, you've got to forget some other things. You've got to choose to separate yourself from some things that don't bring you into the life that you are choosing. Choosing to be great, something has to go. In choosing to prioritize what it is that you want in life, you have to let go of some things that you don't need in your life until such times as you have space and indeed the desire for them. No one becomes great by accident. Now, I love the notion that people are born exceptionally talented, and there are some people, I think, here this afternoon that could maybe fit into that category. category. There are people born, ta- any born talented people? Yes. <laughs> Some people are born talent. Who's got one talent? Any advance on one? Do we have two talent people? Two things that you do well? Give me a wave if that's you. Three things, a three talented person. Any four talents? I think there's a lot of delusion going on over in this section of the room. Any advance on four? Do we have a five talented person? You know, even if you're born with the most exceptional talent, if you truly want to make use of that talent, you have to exclusively give yourself over to developing and preparation and coaching and a variety of things until that giftedness comes into its greatness. It doesn't happen by accident. And you know, there are people who are talented, but talent without discipline and without intentionality will never take you to your goal. You need all of those things working in harmony. And here's a little phrase I would ask you to write it down. It's a phrase I believe has been helpful to me in my life. The key to concentration is elimination. Let me say that to you again. The key to concentration, giving ourselves fully and utterly to something, is elimination. Now let's look at this scripture. And it's a scripture that... uh, For many of us, it's familiar, so I hope you don't gloss over that because it's too familiar to you. But it comes from a man's life who did exceptional and great things for God. It's Psalm 27, verse 4. He says, one thing I ask from the Lord. Can I ask you for a second? Is there anybody here who just asks for one thing from the Lord? Any advance on one thing, two things, three things? We could keep going, couldn't we? 
How many of you, if you were really talking to God and you felt you had his ear, would just ask for one thing? Your life, yeah. Now, can I just suggest that some of us would ask for one thing if we had an emergency? We would know with clarity what one thing we wanted God to do to us, but I can guarantee you as soon as your emergency was resolved, you'd be asking for four things. Because we're greedy. As human beings, when we come into the presence of God, we want everything he has for us. But David uses this phrase, he says, One thing I ask from the Lord, and this only do I seek. And look what it is that he's asking and seeking for. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Now, do you think he's saying, God, my greatest treasure, priority, and purpose in life is to be in church? Can you imagine that that's all you did? Hello? <laughs> is, is the still silence a shock? All you did night and day, everything about your life was about church? Well, David is asking for something more than going to a place. He's not asking God to give him a position in some kind of ministry, in some kind of environment. He's asking for something more than that. And this is it. This is what he's searching for. To gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Imagine having that kind of singularity of thought. Every single day of your life, in every circumstance that you face, every time you connect with God, every time you wonder how great your life could be, all those dreams, all those aspirations, all those desires, packed up in this one singular thought, to be in the presence of God, to love him and to seek him with all of your heart and to gaze upon his beauty. Now, it's not surprising with that kind of intentionality that David was referred to by Jesus himself in the book of Acts as a man after God's own heart. Acts 13 verse 22 says, After removing Saul, he made David their king, this is speaking of God, and he testified concerning him. This is God speaking of David. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to now, when we start thinking about singularity, we usually associate that kind of intentional thinking around personal development. Is there anybody who'd like to be a little thinner by the end of this year? Come on, give me your wave. Tell the truth. Don't tell lies in church. Anybody who'd like to maybe succeed in some kind of qualification by the end of this year? Give me a wave if that's you. What about this for a goal? You're going to find yourself a wife. The farmer wants a wife. Sam, I see that hand. Raise it again. Raise it again. May the Lord bless that intentionality. <laughs> Ladies, what about a husband by the end of the year? Ooh. Ooh. When we think of intentionality, we usually think predominantly of things that improve our life, things that would make us happier or things that would fulfill us or even things that would promote us. But actually, David was asking for something slightly different. He wasn't seeking the Lord for what he could achieve. He was seeking the Lord for who he could become. David knew that presence and partnership and connection with God would change him from the inside out. Now when it comes to setting goals for our lives, I wonder if any of us have ever set that goal before us. 
as we step into this decade, as we dance towards the future that God has for us, I wonder, could we start the adventure with that kind of singularity of thought? Not what can I get or even what can I do, but who can I become? Lord, what is in your heart for me as I step towards this decade? Can I ask you a quick question? It's just a question that puzzles me an awful lot. Is there anybody who knows what God is doing currently in their life? Is that, give me a wave if that's you. Do you know, I think we should know what God is doing, because if we don't know what God is doing, we might be doing something other than what God is doing. Isn't that true? So we should have this awareness of what God is doing. But when you think across the spectrum of a 10-year period, I wonder who God wants you to become. What kind of person will you be after the decade is over? What kind of heart will you have? It's true to say as we step towards the future, and I've been around a little longer than some of you, the older you get, the tendency is to become more cynical. Anybody over 25 recognize that? Because you've got much more of life experience and damage that you have to contend with. Isn't that true, over 25ers? Yes? But I wonder, is it possible that at the end of the decade that I can be so in love with Jesus, I don't have a cynical bone in my body. In fact, I want to be more optimistic at the end than I ever was at the beginning. More hope filled in 10 years time than I am at the dawn of a new decade. I wonder if we set our hearts towards that, what kind of adventure we'd go upon. Is there anybody who'd like to be more intimate with God? I think intimacy is one of our greatest battles, don't you think? And the reason why it's a battle is because we have to be exceptionally intentional about something that feels like it should be more holistic. But you know, if you want to grow and become who you're called to become, you're going to have to set your heart towards Him. You're going to have to be intentional about being in His presence. Is there anybody else like me in this room that finds you could get so preoccupied with all kinds of good things and the one thing that changes everything somehow gets squeezed out of your life? And how many years have you come round at New Year's Day and said, I promise God I'm going to spend more time with him to find by the 3rd of January you're spending more time with EastEnders, Coronation Street, Mastermind for those of you who are clever. You see, it's important that we set our hearts on that kind of pilgrimage, that we step towards this decade with that kind of singularity of heart. You can't aim for a target unless you first identified it. And if you truly want to become like David and truly want to set your heart towards knowing God in that way, then your mind is going to need to come into partnership with that intentionality. Your perspective on life will play a huge part on whether or not that becomes your reality. And you will have to consistently recalibrate and reorientate your life towards that goal. Because our default as human beings is to be casual about spiritual things. And if you're wondering what I'm talking about, I'm talking about having a vision for your spiritual journey. 
You see, let me say this to you and just button your coat up because it's going to sound like it's a terrible thing. But to be a follower of Jesus Christ and to step towards, as David did, this huge intentionality and singularity of life, you're going to have to learn to harden your heart. You're going to have to determine that your heart is preset. That you have already decided what your life will look like. You cannot be casual and you have to be consistent in your orientation towards that which is your desire. And trust me, if you set your hearts towards knowing God like this, then difficulties and trials, even temptations will come your way. That is why we need to set our hearts before that day comes. We need to make up our minds now who it is that we want to be in Christ. We need to harden our hearts in the best sense of the word against some things that can be distractions and indeed fix them towards God with clarity and certainty. If we don't fix our hearts or harden our hearts towards God, then we will be a victim of circumstance and trials and temptations. Psalm 57 verse 7, this is David speaking to, he writes these words, My heart is fixed, O God, my heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. And the word fixed here that David is using means firmly in position, stationary, not subject to change or variation, consistent, firmly held in the mind and fixed as a notion to live by. David was a man after God's own heart because he set his heart after knowing God. David could have so easily allowed his giftedness, his talent, or even indeed his position as the king of Israel to be the deciding factor on whether or not he was important or otherwise. But his truest sense of self and purpose was found in his relationship with God. When you fixed your heart towards God, the options are not available. When temptation comes, or he or she, or whatever it is, passes by you, you have already predetermined what the outcome will be. If you want to end the decade of the 2020s with a greater sense of reality to who you truly can be in God, then you're going to have to start that decade by fixing your heart, hardening your heart, and aligning it to that purpose, becoming singular in your thought, your intentionalities, and indeed your orientations. So David did just that. Look what he says here. One thing I ask from the Lord. He's not saying I have a multiple choice approach to my spiritual journey. He's not saying, God, I'm in this relationship with you for all that I can gain out of it. He's certainly not saying, God, I am setting my heart towards you because it's a good spiritual exercise for me to do so. He's simply saying this, I am predetermining that the relationship I have with you, Jesus, will flourish in spite of the obstacles I face. His heart was set on God. As we step towards this decade, can I ask you if that's the truth about you? Because I find so often in this generation, a whole bunch of people are casual about their intentionality related to God. 
If we're not careful, we have a consumeristic Christianity. We're in it for what we can get out of it. You know, I often laugh about this, but somebody came to me once and they said, you know, I don't get anything from the worship. I said, that's really good because we weren't worshiping you. But in our consumeristic society, we so often make those moments about us. We always think we should benefit in some way from something that God is receiving. I wonder if David thought like that. I don't think for a second he did. I think he wasn't in it for what he could gain from it. He was in it because he knew that the best thing he could give his life to was to look for, seek after, and know the fullness of the presence of God. David predetermined what his course will be. It wasn't accidental. It wasn't even consumeristic. It didn't change or alter according to circumstance or trials or temptations. He had made up his mind and he had set his heart towards that which he desired. We need to be like this as we step towards the decade ahead. It's important for us to move out of circumstantial Christianity or even casual Christianity or even occasional Christianity and to set our hearts like a flint towards the God who delights in you and me. It's important for us to make up our minds in advance whom we're going to serve. It's not going to be our job or even our wife or our husband. As good as those services may offer us, there is but one we should live for and his name is Christ Jesus. He should be our waking thought and our closing prayer, our all-consuming God, all-consuming our hearts in such a way that we live in his fullness and in his deep blessing. It won't happen accidentally, and you can't find it occasionally. You have to set your heart towards singularity. You have to pursue him with all of your strength, with all of your might, and with all of your effort. And without that kind of intentionality, you and I will be subject to difficulties that we are not able to walk through. David set his heart towards God. This one thing I ask. The second thing is, David made his perspective full of God. This only do I seek. Now what is David referring to here? Let me just help you for a moment, because sometimes I feel with Christians, we're in the middle of a trial and we say things like this, where are you God? If you didn't know where God was before the trial, it's probably unlikely that you're going to find him in the trial. You see, here's what we're meant to do with our internal vision, with the internal eyes of the Spirit. We're meant to seek him consistently. And how do I do that? Well, I reflect back over my life and I see his faithful hand. If you want to correct your vision so that you can pursue God's purpose for you, then you need to remember his benefits. Is there anyone in this room who's experienced the faithfulness of God for a long time? Come on, give me a wave if that's you. Well, bring those stories out. Take them out, breathe life on them, and thank the Lord again for them. Because if you don't remember his benefits, you will be distracted by the enemy to the problems and difficulties that you have. People who live problem-oriented lives have not stopped to think for a long time about the promises of God, which are yes and amen. Church, in the midst of every problem, there is a promise he has made to you. And because he's made a promise to you, there's provision available to you. 
Let us not be sideswiped by the enemy as we move towards this decade, but let's fill our hearts and our minds and our memories with the testimony after testimony of the faithfulness, the power, the glory, the dominion, the breakthrough moments where God turned up in all his goodness and we were shocked and even to this day, we don't know how we did it, but faithful is our God. Everlasting to everlasting is the love of the Lord. And the second thing that will help our perspective is this, is to be people who seek first the kingdom of God. Matthew 6, verse 33 tells us that we are invited by God to be kingdom seekers. Now, what does that look like? Well, what about this? What if God was doing something right now? In and around where you're sitting, God might be ministering in someone's heart right now. As I'm talking, under the sound of my voice, God might be breaking chains in somebody's life right now. Right now, in Jesus' name, mindsets are shifting away from the befuddled thinking of occasional engagement with God. And people are making up their mind that they're moving towards him with more intentionality in the 2020s. Right now, hearts are being healed Right now, bodies are being fixed in Jesus' name. Right now, people are coming to faith in Jesus. All around us, the kingdom is at work. All among us, the kingdom is at work. But if we're not looking for the kingdom, we'll be looking for problems. By default, we will be distracted by other things. Paul uses this phrase, I fix my eyes on Jesus. He is the author and the perfecter of my faith. So, David models for us the kind of life that I want for myself. I don't know if you do for yourself. He's not looking for self-improvement. He's just moving towards the one person he knows that can make everything in him come alive. And that is God himself. He's not looking just for handouts. He's looking for God to give him a hand up into the fullness of his destiny and to the fullness of his glory. He's moving with intentionality, having made up his mind that this is who I am. I am a lover of God. I belong to him and he belongs to me. And this is who I'm going to be when this decade is over. I wonder if I'm more in love with Jesus, closer to God, more fearless in the way I live, more courageous in the choices I make, more full of faith in my endeavor than I was when I started out. To be a follower of Jesus, I suggest you need to set your heart like a flint towards the purposes of God. Fix it right now in Jesus' name. Don't wait till you get out there and something else happens. And be singular of purpose. Ask the Lord all the time to make you his and for him to be truly yours in all his fullness. And open your eyes to all that he has done and all that he is doing. I can guarantee you that you will arrive at the end of this decade far further on in your spiritual journey than you ever could have imagined if you just apply those truths to your ongoing adventure.